Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You would turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to finish up the chapter. Only three verses tonight. And uh, I think it works out very nicely into three points. Be very Baptist. Three points in a prayer, right? <laughs> um, and just for uh, just for a brief, uh, you know, they say, um, I, I'm, I'm just I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, they say in preaching class, you tell them what you're going to say. You say it, and then you tell them what you said. So, <laughs> so um, we're going to look tonight at how uh, at how we worship, who we are, and what we believe. And I think we get all those three things from this text. Um, so let's go ahead and read our text, beginning in verse fourteen. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight to have open eyes and open ears. Help us to understand your word. We thank you that you've spoken to us so that we might understand who we are. We may understand how we worship you, and we might understand what we're to believe. Father, give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to begin with how we worship. How do I get that? Let's go ahead and look at the first couple, of, the first verse and a half. Paul here is is. Um, Writing, and he's telling us what his purpose is. He's telling us why he's writing this whole letter. Um, and he says, I hope to come to you. And he's telling Timothy, he's hoping to come to visit him. You know, Paul loved Timothy. He loved the churches that he planted. And he had a, long, a, a strong desire to want to go visit them. And you know, and I, I think that's appropriate for, for us as well. When we have relationships and friendships with other believers, it's appropriate to want to go see them again when we've known them. You know, maybe you've been on a mission trip, maybe somebody that was a member of your church who's moved away. It's it's good and it's it's something that we long to do to go visit them and see how each other has grown in the Lord. Right? And and here Paul, he had left Timothy there in Ephesus. And he longed to come and visit him, but there was a crisis there going on in the church. And it was he wanted to make sure that this crisis was dealt with, so he's writing this letter, even though he, long, he wanted to be there soon, 
in case he's delayed, he wants Timothy to know how we're to behave in the household of God. That's where I get that first point. How we worship. I think that's something that is, is, is all throughout the book of 1 Timothy. But here, it, it, Paul is just kind of short, briefly stating, this is why I wrote the whole book. I'm writing to you so you know how to behave in the household of God. He's already talked about some of these things. He's already talked about how uh, men and women are to worship when it comes to certain gender roles. He's already talked about how we ought to pray. He's already talked about what the qualifications for pastors and deacons are. These are things that relate to how we are to behave or how we are to live in the household of God. The Bible determines these things. We aren't free just to to make up however we want to do church, are we? The Bible commands us certain ways that we ought to do church. And and uh, it, later on, um, he he in chapter uh, in chapter four, um, he says, "Command and teach these things." Um, he, he's he's telling. Timothy, how he's to be a pastor. And part of that duty is to command and teach these things, the things contained in the book and the things that are the, the, uh, the basic teachings of the faith, the things that he had learned from Paul. Um, he he uh, gives us instructions not to rebuke an older man. You know, that's something that we ought to be... Um, um, about as a church. That's how uh, we our churches should be characterized. And he's telling us how we are to worship. He also says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox whenever it treads out the grain. Of course, the this is one of a pastor's favorite verses. It means we ought to get paid for what we do, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, this, is, this, I think, is Paul telling us this whole book, 1 Timothy, is about how we are to live as members of churches. And I, I, I don't necessarily have to go into all of that because we're going to see it as we go through the book. We've already seen part, and we're going to see more. The second point is who we are. Paul says to Timothy, we're, we're, we're to know how we're to behave in the household of God. Okay? And then he goes on to define that. Which is, the household of God is the church. The church of the living God. A pillar and buttress of the truth. That's who we are. If, if we're believers, if we have been called by Jesus, if He has given us life, then we are to congregate together as local churches and the church is the household of God. In the Old Testament, the, 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 household, the house of God was, was referring to things like the tabernacle in the early parts whenever the law was given and they, they didn't have a permanent home uh, for God. And it, it, it symbolized God's presence with His people. And then uh, Solomon was able to build the temple. And you had the temple, which was the house of God. 
And, and we see something in the passage that Amy read from in Isaiah about a time when the Gentiles would stream to the house of the God of Jacob. There was something that, that, was, that was more than just the temple or the tabernacle. It was pointing forward to something that's a New Testament reality as well. And, and we think of, of the, the temple and how it's spoken of in the New Testament. And, and Jesus said that He was the temple, right? You tear down this temple and I'll raise it in three days. He was speaking of His own body. But He also, we see it, uh, Paul talking about how believers, churches, we are the house of God now. Uh, Peter talks about how that we are living stones being built up into a house. And, and Paul talks about the same kind of imagery about how we are a house. Uh, we are the temple. Pa Paul says that our bodies are the temple of God. And that's one of the reasons why we are to keep our bodies pure from sexual immorality. Because we are now the temple. And, and here Paul makes a similar statement. He says, the house of God is the church. When we gather corporately together as members of churches, we are the presence of God. I mean, not us, but we, when we gather, He's there with us. He is present with us. And people on the outside of, of, of the church can look at churches meeting they don't know. They don't have a clue. But the presence of God is right there in the midst of the community. We are, as churches, the household of God. And he says, which is the church of the living God. The church of the living God. I'm going to spell that out a little bit. Um, in Ephesus, where Timothy was, and in all of the Roman and Greek world that, that Paul uh, was living in, they had all kinds of gods. You had Zeus, and you had Apollos, and you had uh, Apollo, and you had all these different gods. You had Diana and Artemis, Artemis of the Ephesians. And these gods were nothing more than fiction. They were nothing more than dead pieces of wood or silver or gold. They were dead. But Paul says the church is the household of the living God. A, a true God. He's better and greater than any of the gods or goddesses that were worshipped in the, in, in the uh, Greco-Roman world. No, he was saying... The church is the household at the house of God, the living God, the real God, the true God, the God who sent his son into the world and proved who he was by sending his son and coming into the world. The church is the house of the living God and also it says the pillar a pillar and buttress of the truth. The pillar is something that upholds something, right? It, it, you've got a pillar on a building and it's upholding something. And 
that, that has the idea that the church is to be what upholds the truth. We are to stand for truth when truth is denied all around us. We are to hold it up. And around us, all, all over, we see how the truth is being denied and suppressed. You can only explain someone saying that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man if they are suppressing the truth. That is an obvious reality. And the church has to be the one place among our world that is in denial of the truth where we have to hold up the truth. Also, this word buttress. Uh, now, in the Greek, uh, as, I, as I've been looking at it, it's, I guess there's some ambiguity about how you can translate it. Uh, the commentary that I, I read, and I, I, think, I think this is better for us to understand, uh, it, it can also be translated foundation. The foundation. Uh, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And, and, and I think one of the things that we can think about it being the foundation of the truth is Peter's confession. Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter, uh, uh, Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And I don't believe that he was saying that Peter was going to be the first pope. <laughs> Instead, he was saying this uh, confession of faith that Peter was making, that Jesus was the Christ, that is what he was building his church upon. And here, I think it reflects that same thing, the, the foundation of the truth. That truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is something that is foundational to who we are as Christians. Next. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. That's the third point. We've talked about how we worship, who we are. We're the church of the living God. We are the house of God. And what we believe. Great indeed, as we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he begins to share this confession. In your Bible, it may be kind of broken out into a, a kind of poetic stanzas or something like that. Some have, have thought that maybe Paul was quoting a hymn that they may have sung in the early church. Uh, maybe, maybe so, maybe not. It just it seems very, very uh, poetic in the way it's written. And um, uh, maybe Paul wrote it as a song that they would sing in the early church. But here it is. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. This is what we believe as the church. Now, we believe more than just these six lines. But this, in essence, we can't get any less than this. He was manifested in the flesh. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was made without Him. Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. Uh, from eternity past, the Word 
And then in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was manifested in the flesh. Gnostics in the, that day and, and maybe even today want to deny that Jesus was physically God in the flesh. Um, the idea of Gnosticism is the, is the idea that, that uh, all flesh is evil. Everything that's, that's uh, uh, tangible and solid, that's all, all evil. What's really good is what's spiritual. And so it would seem very strange to the Greek world to think that God, who is infinitely good and infinitely holy, could then take upon flesh. It was unreasonable to them, that idea. But yet He did. God, who was infinite in all of His perfections, who was perfect and holy, became flesh. That word is like saying God became meat. He's got skin. He's got blood. He's got everything we have as human beings. He was manifested in the flesh. And not only was He manifested in the flesh when He came and was born of a virgin, but He lived among human beings. His life that we read about in the Gospels, it was in the flesh. As He stood and wept because His friend Lazarus had died, He was in the flesh. Not in a bad way. He was... He was manifested in the flesh. When He healed people, He was God in the flesh there doing it. When He was baptized, He was God in the flesh being baptized. He was manifested in the flesh. And whenever He went to the cross, whenever they beat Him, He was God manifested in the flesh. Whenever they took the cat of nine tails and they ripped His skin from His flesh, He was God manifested in the flesh. Whenever He was nailed to the cross, He was God manifested in the flesh. And when He died, He was God manifested in the flesh. And then when He rose again, He showed everybody that He was God manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was vindicated by the Spirit. What does it mean to be vindicated? It's when people think that you have been wrong and then you're proven right. It's maybe whenever you can say, I told you so. (laughs) He was vindicated by the Spirit. When He died... When it was crucified, when, when, when the Pharisees said you were a blasphemer for what He was saying, He was saying, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of Man. And the Pharisees accused Him of blasphemy. They said He was wrong. When they crucified Him and He was, he was hung on the cross and people shouted out, if you're really the Son of God, save yourself! They thought he was wrong. And when he rose from the dead, he was vindicated. He was proven to be who he said that he was. He was proven that he was 
the Son of Man. He was pro- it was proven that He was the Son of God. It was proven that He was God in the flesh. He was seen by the angels. First Peter has a passage in, the, in chapter 1 that says that, uh, uh, that we as believers are able to see something that before Christ came, even the angels longed to look at. Right? They didn't know, even the angels didn't know the mystery of what was in God's plan. And when Jesus came to earth, the angels were all having a front seat to look in on what God was doing, and they still didn't know. And whenever he was hanging on the cross, the angels were some of the witnesses of all that. And they were the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. He was seen by the angels. Even the angels rejoiced at the manifest drama that God had unfolded before them. He was seen by the angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. You know, in the Old Testament, the the plan of salvation seemed to be just for the Jews alone. And yet you have these different different streams throughout the Old Testament that point to the fact that God was going to do a work among the Gentiles as well. Just like Amy read from Isaiah chapter 2, and there's many, many other places. The Gentiles, the nations, were going to stream towards the house of God. The house of the God of Jacob. And here, He was proclaimed among the nations. Jesus Last words to us in the book of Matthew. The Great Commission is what we call it. He said, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them everything that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He was proclaimed among the nations. And Paul was a big part of that. He went out on his missionary journeys going throughout Asia Minor, going to Greece, going even to Rome to proclaim the Gospel among the Gentiles, among the nations. He was proclaimed among the nations. This was something that was God's plan from the very beginning. There were hints that it was going to happen within the Old Testament and it had finally come to pass. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world. He wasn't just proclaimed and saying, look at what God did. Sure wish you could be a part of it, don't you? No! He was believed on in the world. Both Jew and Gentile have believed on Him. And, and we have, you know, Paul said in Romans, whoever believes on Him shall not be put to shame. Whoever believes on Him you know, uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was believed on in the world. And so we can all be saved. Jew, Gentile. Black, white. Doesn't matter what ethnicity, doesn't matter what socioeconomic status, doesn't matter any of those things. He was believed on in the world. This is not just a Jewish thing in the corner. He was believed on in the world. 
and He was taken up into glory. You see at the end of the book of Luke, and we see at the beginning of Acts, how Jesus ascended into heaven. He was taken up into glory. He was there with His disciples, giving them some of the last words and As He was there in front of them, He began to rise up into the air, into the clouds, and the disciples were all standing around looking. And then a couple of angels came by and said, what are y'all looking at? (laughs) Don't you know? In the same way that He left, He's going to come again. He was taken up into glory where He now sits at the Father's right hand. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has taken His seat besides the Father. He is ruling over all of creation. And He also prays for us. Amen? He was taken up into glory. Great is the mystery we confess. First Timothy, as we go through this book, is telling us how we are to worship. We're not supposed to come up with it by ourselves. Just think about Hophni and Phineas. Or no, I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, can you tell me who it is? Hophni and Phineas were Eli's sons. Um, Aaron's sons, and I can't think of their names right now. They were priests, a part of the line of Aaron, Aaron's own sons. And they offered up strange fire. Uh, they, They had sacrificed in a way that God had not commanded, and God killed them for worshiping in a way that He hadn't commanded. 1 Timothy, the Bible, tells us how we are to worship. He tells us here who we are. We are the household of God, the church, the pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. And it tells us what we believe. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And we await His coming now. Amen. Do you believe that? Can you put your weight on that? Can you trust that? If you can believe that, brother, sister, we repent and we believe what Jesus did. Believe this great mystery that God has done for us. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.